0: I don't know if you've ever been to a concert before. Anybody been to a concert before? Some of you are thinking theatre, others of you are thinking rockin' just crazy nut, like I'm looking at the front row here. I oh, know they've been to concerts before and it is screaming craziness with arms flinging everywhere. Anyway, you've been to a concert, concert, you pay an exorbitant amount of money to go and worship, lift your hands, sing loud, cry. Some people cry at concerts, don't they? They're so emotional about this person they're seeing. It's amazing. And uh, and then you even dance like a lunatic in time with the sick rhythms of the music. You get there early and while you wait you stand shoulder to shoulder with a sweaty crowd just waiting. You might strike up a conversation with the stranger next to you exchanging stories about the first time you listened to their music. Man, it was awesome. And how you have every album. The crowd around you start chanting for the band to play. You smell the sweaty armpit of the fan beside you and rub, ag- rub up against their sweaty shirt thinking, really? I paid 120 bucks for this? Then the lights grow dim. The crowd goes quiet. And far off in the distance you hear a sound, the grunging of a guitar, getting louder and louder and louder. Then the lights go up and on stage and there they are, the moment you'd been waiting for. Oh, it's amazing. And you start yelling and cheering. Maybe that's not exactly your idea of the moment you've been waiting for. Maybe it's a theatre. Maybe it's a movie that came out. sure you could think of the moment you'd been waiting for and anticipating. But then think complete opposite of what you're actually anticipating. God coming to the earth. You'd think there'd be a fanfare. You'd think the crowds would be going wild. Everyone knows about it and has posts all over Facebook and Twitter. But no. Instead, no one knows about it. But all the Jews are expecting it. They're waiting with anticipation for the moment. The moment when their true king would actually come. Everything that God had shown them would actually come true. A military leader would come and lead them to victory over the oppressive Roman rule. Then comes baby crying. Then comes an unmarried virgin mother. Then comes under threat... This little baby that's been born of being killed by the crazy dude called Herod. A manger in a stable in a cave at the side of the hill. A poor family with no home. Can you imagine? Major anticipation. And then comes Jesus, this little baby. It's, if you look in the Bible, there's actually about 400 years of silence in the Bible, between when the last book in the Old Testament, Micah, was written, and then the first book in the New Testament was written, Matthew. And, uh, and this 400 years of silence seems to be a, a bit of a mystery. Uh, but up until the point when Jesus was born, there'd been plenty of noise about the fact that God was going to send someone as a rescuer, someone as a rescuer to the whole world. Not just, uh, not just some good guy who went, who'd come to the earth, but someone who would actually come and rescue people. Rescue people who were desperate in need of a saviour. And we'll explain that a little bit in a moment. Namely, his son, Jesus. Remember, there were two independent authors who wrote at two independent times with centuries between each other. So you, you look at the Bible and you think, maybe just some old textbook. But when you see and when you know historically that the book of Micah was written 400 years before Jesus ever came to the earth. 400 years before. And there's a quote in uh, in Micah that says this: "But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come out for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, of ancient times." And what that's talking about is Jesus coming. This guy writing Micah had no idea that Jesus would come, but he wrote being inspired by God. And then you actually see where was Jesus born. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Incredible. 400 years before this guy was writing about it, 400 years later, Jesus actually comes at the right place at the right time. Amazing. Then you have this other prophecy in Isaiah. And uh, and he wrote about how Jesus' mother would be a virgin, who conceived by a miracle, and that Jesus would be God, who became a man. Isaiah 7 says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, you could think that this was just written by some guy after Jesus had come because he's talking about a virgin Mary actually giving birth by a miracle to this little baby called Jesus. But no, this was again an independent author before Jesus even existed on the earth. He wrote about the fact that Jesus' mother would be a virgin and that she would give, uh, give birth to a child and she would actually call him Emmanuel. So I ask you this question today. Who do you say Jesus is? If you were to talk to the person next to you and, uh, and you said, oh, I think Jesus is, what would you finish that statement with? I know Jesus is. I think Jesus. Maybe you'd finish it with a prophet. He was just a prophet who came declaring all these things about God on the earth. Maybe you'd think, yeah, he's just a good guy. He was a really good guy. He did, he did amazing things. Perfectly lived his life. Maybe you think he's a, he's a guru. He's this spiritual sort of guy. He's got insights into things that nobody else knows. He's, he's just this spiritual guru. Maybe you think he's an alien. He's come from another planet and uh, he's doing nutty things here on the earth. Maybe you think he's anything but actually God. Well, Jesus is nearly universally recognized as a great moral example, insightful teacher, defender of the poor and marginalized humble servant to the needy and unprecedented champion of overturning just, injustice with non-violence however the truth that Jesus is God is highly debated if you were to ask this question and uh, walk up to somebody who uh, who is spiritual but not a Christian uh, and you said that Jesus is God most likely if they knew what they were talking about you'd have a quite a heated debate and uh you can look around. I read last night in America that, uh, that they're having huge wars um, with, with secular people uh, about having a nativity scene sitting in a, uh, in a little town. And traditionally they would had that for 63 years but because some people didn't like the fact that Jesus is God and that he says he's one God only, uh, that people don't like that and they want to get rid of him altogether. Um, thankfully that actually went through and there's still a nativity scene in this little city. But when somebody says they are God, like Jesus said, it's going to cause debate. We live in a society where lots of people can be God. We could be God if we wanted to. Uh, Jesus says he's the only God. The truth that Jesus Christ is fully God divides Christianity from all other religions and spirituality. Christian science claims Jesus Christ is not God. Baha'i Faith claims that Jesus was some special manifestation of God and a prophet who was less than and under their leader Muhammad and Baha, Baha Alláh. Buddhism teaches that Jesus was not God but rather an enlightened man just like Buddha. Jehovah's Witnesses Watchtower Society teaches that Jesus never claimed to be God. So when Christians come and say Jesus is God, we're setting ourselves different from every other religion that's ever been known. Uh, I'm going to outline what I hope will be three main reasons why Jesus is God and then focus on two scriptures in particular. So the first reason uh, biblically from the Bible that Jesus is God is that God the Father said that Jesus was God. When Jesus was baptised, some of you may be familiar with the story of Jesus' baptism. And when John dipped him under the water, he came back out of the water and the Holy Spirit came down like a dove. And it was evidence that the Holy Spirit was resting on Jesus. And God the Father said, This is my son, my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. And the same thing happened after Jesus had died for your and my sins and risen again. Jesus was transfigured and returned to his heavenly throne. And the Father spoke from a cloud again, saying, This is my beloved son. So numerous times throughout the Bible, when Jesus was on the earth, God the Father affirmed that this was his son that this was God the Son come to the earth. Jesus is God. The next one is that Jesus said he, Jesus himself said he was God. This got him in stacks of trouble and ultimately led to his death. The fact that Jesus came and said, I am God and there is one way to the Father, one way to heaven, and that's through me, got people riled up. It was no good for you to say you're God. People called that blasphemy. For a man to say, I am God, meant that it was blasphemy and it was a huge, huge issue. To make statements saying you can forgive sin, that you're the only way to heaven and that you are equal with God was something called blasphemy. It's pretty self-explanatory. It's being a man and claiming to be God. They were wrong as they later found out. All the people who killed Jesus were wrong as they later found out. They found out that he actually was God and they actually did rise again. The third one is this. People worship Jesus as God. Jesus welcomed people actually worshipping him as the one true God. The Bible makes it clear that there is only one God to be worshipped and anything else is idolatry or blasphemy. Jesus accepted worship from people who worshipped him as God. He asked people to pray to him as God. When you pray, pray to me and it will be done. And as John wrote in chapter 5 verse 23, people should worship Jesus and the Father. All may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. Jesus is God and he actually wanted people and welcomed people worshipping him as God. So that was some three clear evidence, I think, that Jesus is actually God. His Father affirmed him as being God. Jesus himself said he was God and people worshipped him as God. They clearly worshipped him as God. Where I'd like to head next, if you've got your Bible, uh, we looked at this last week, uh, sorry, the first week with uh, Diff. And Diff talked about uh, John chapter 1. And I'd like to uh, outline in here where it actually talks about Jesus being God. And then later on, we're actually going to work out what are the implications for this as people, both as Christians and as people who don't follow Jesus. Because it has implications for everything, The fact that everybody, the fact that Jesus is God. John chapter 1. We'll do some skipping around here, so uh, try to keep up. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Notice there, it goes from being the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So this Word somehow is God. It's a bit of a weird sort of understanding. Um, If you want to do some research on it, look up Logos. Alright, Logos is, uh, is where they uh, understand that the Logos, the Word, became flesh, which we'll talk about. He was in the beginning with God. So now the Word, uh, the word suddenly has uh, personhood. He, right? It says, He was with God. He was in the beginning with God. Jump down to verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. John wasn't the Word. John came to prepare the way so that Jesus could come. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light. John was not the light. John was not the word. He came preparing. People were actually confused about this. People were actually asking John questions. Are you the one? They're they're waiting in anticipation. Are you the one? Are you God? Are you the one who's going to come and rescue us? And John's like, no, no, no. No, I'm not the one. There's going to be one who comes after me. Man, he's the one you need to follow. He's the one you need to get on board with. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. Skip down then to verse 14. And here's where it makes clear that the Word, God, the, guy who, the Word who was with God in the beginning before anything was created, actually becomes flesh. Verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. So you're understanding now that the Word becomes flesh. Jesus And the Word is God. And the Word was with God in the beginning. And the Word became flesh, namely the Son, Jesus, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, uh, because he was before me. So here's the big truth. The big idea from John chapter 1 is that Jesus existed before he came to the earth. When Jesus was born on the earth, It wasn't the start of his life. Jesus always existed right back into eternity because he was part of God the Trinity. So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You have the Trinity all being one God but in three different persons. So the second part of the Trinity, Jesus actually comes at the right time, the perfect time in history, and actually becomes a man. This is the incarnation. So Jesus as God comes to be a man. He existed as God and with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit in the Trinity. It was at the precise time that God the Father decided to send his son Jesus into the world full of people to rescue them from the dire consequence of sin, ultimately death. Until now God made his presence known in the temple and through various signs and wonders. Now he was most literally becoming a man. God himself was literally becoming a man. So that he could most literally be with men and women and children as a man and to die a man's death so that we would be forgiven for our sins. Still maintaining his godness. See, God came as a man because he needed to die a man's death so that our death could be beaten. And that's what Jesus did. So he maintains his godness. God the Word exists before creation and comes in human flesh as the man Jesus. Things were created through him. You know, in Colossians, you look in the book of Colossians and you see that things were created through Jesus. And the Word is how things were created. What did God do? He spoke things into creation. So God the Word becomes a man, Jesus. Have a look now. Here's the second scripture. Have a look at Philippians 2. So if you've got your Bible again, open up to Philippians 2. And uh, we're going to read from verse Verse 6. <clears throat> we're going to learn a few things about jesus as god everyone's got philippians chapter 2 here's what it says philippians 2 verse 6 says this who though he was in the form of god that's jesus did not account equality with the god a thing to be grasped but made himself nothing taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death Even death on a cross. That's Easter, right? We're about to celebrate Christmas where Jesus is born. And then he goes right throughout his life and then dies a death. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What does this show us? What does this show us about Jesus as God? Well, Jesus came as God to show us who God is. See, before this, in history, uh, Jesus—sorry, uh, God had made himself known with his presence in buildings, usually. So people in the Old Testament had, had made temples. Solomon made the most amazing temple that had ever been built so that it could house God and so that people could go and meet with God. But until this point, uh, people could only go through a priest. To actually come and meet with god so they would go to the priest they would confess their sin and the priest would go and make sacrifices for their sin before god to actually be in relationship with god excuse me so jesus came as god to show us who god is humility he left his place of glory to come and live in the squalor of the earth not in palaces or ritzy hotels but in the dirt streets hard beds in community with people who believed in him and even those who didn't, Jesus came as God and existed in the basicness of humanity. So when we think of God, I wonder when you think about who Jesus is, do you think of, it, do you think of him as this high royal, or rich guy who came, to, who came to earth and only hung out with the amazing people? We have a fascination. I feel like in our culture we have a fascination with people of higher uh, status Don't we? We have magazines about people with higher status. We have uh, TV shows about people with high status. And there's somehow this reality uh, where reality TV shows come in so that somehow the humanity of people somehow becomes attractive again. Well, Jesus comes in as God, high, holy, exalted God, leaves his throne and and comes and makes his place on the earth, walking around with average, normal people. And they're the people he hung out with. He radically loved the worst and most sinful to the point of death, even for his own enemies. Jesus paid the ultimate price. Jesus died for people who hated him. Isn't that nuts? Think about kings and rulers today. Are they the ones who are going to say, yep, I'm putting up my hand. The people who hate me most, think of a politician. Those people who hate me most, I'm going to lay down my life for them. No way. This sets Jesus apart. He's not just a man. He's God who comes as a man and lays down his life for people who hate him. He hung out with people who hated him. Who hung out with people who loved him and were intrigued by him. This is Jesus, humble. The second thing is this. Jesus came as God to show us who God is that we may know him. As I mentioned before, Jews were the only people who could know God. People of Israel, God's special people all the way throughout history leading up to Jesus coming were the only people who could be in relationship with God. There are a few extra examples where there were people from outside the Jews who came in and became part of the Israelites. But uh, but for the main part, Israel, God's people were the only people who could know God. And so here you have Jesus bursting onto the scene and opening up the way for any person to come and worship, for any person to come and have true life. Uh, his death means that all people everywhere now had direct access to God, which no one else in all of history had ever had. You had to be from a select race called the Jews, and even then you had to go through a priest. Jesus opens up the way so that all people... Like, you want to talk about equality and inclusion? Christianity is the most inclusive religion. It welcomes all people anywhere to come and say, God, I'm going to, I ask you to be God. And I'm going to change to the way you want me to change. Any person can come to God. Doesn't matter what your race is, doesn't matter what your tongue is, what language you speak, doesn't matter what tribe you come from, nation, doesn't matter your political position or gender. You can come to God who gives everything for nothing. Isn't that what Christmas is all about? You have shepherds who come to God. They, they have nothing. They don't even have a gift to give God. And they come to him. They worship him. That's what Christmas is all about. People from all sorts of backgrounds come to worship Jesus. Here's the third thing. Don't, before I go on, don't you think that's amazing? Consider. God didn't come and say, I'm going to give the, the people who earn more than 100 grand a year They're going to be my people because I can really use them in their money. God didn't come and say, I'm going to use the real famous actors and actresses because they're really attractive people. They've got, man, they're they're perfect in their complexion. I'm going to really use them because they're going to. God came and said, welcome. Jesus opens up the doorway, says, come on in. You come and worship me. Then you'll feel life. Then you'll know what true life is all about. Here's the final thing. Jesus came as God so that all people everywhere would bow their knee, confess with their mouth, and have their own will bent to worship and magnify him. Jesus didn't just come as a good man. I mean, we could follow a good man. We could do that. But Jesus didn't just come as a good man. He came as God. So that people would worship him and him alone. Which means we actually have to be humble as well. We have to lay down our own will that's bent on our own pride and our own self-protection. And we actually have to come and worship Jesus. And the funny thing is that we don't think that's where life comes from. The truth is that's where life comes from. Humble, laying down of my own will. Say, God, let your will be done. That's why Jesus came as God. That at his name... Every knee will bow. And whether you do it now or whether you do it when Jesus comes back, you're going to do it. Every person sitting here is going to bow their knee and worship Jesus. Whether it's from a heart that goes, I love you, Jesus, or a heart that goes, dang it, I wish I'd done it when I could. You're going to bow the knee. So I'm going to uh, take a little bent here. If I were to appeal to every person's carnal nature for just a moment, that every person longs for, every person sitting here longs for happiness. The Australian culture is, um, is a, it's characterized, isn't it, by the relaxed, easygoing, we're just a happy people. We're a back, just have a good time. That's what we're about. We actually all long for happiness. But not just happiness, eternal happiness. That's what the big longing is. And you also want to know the truth about God's existence. So let me ask you this question. If he's just a man and everything he did was a fake and you believe and it all turns out to be a sham, you have nothing to lose and nothing to gain. Because we can actually live our lives loving, serving and generally doing good deeds. And we die knowing that we lived a good life. So if you were to believe in Jesus, follow Jesus until the day you died and it all became a sham, you've lived a good life anyway. You've got nothing to lose when you die. You've got nothing to gain when you die. But if he is God, if he truly is God, the one that we go and have a whole carol service singing songs about Jesus, if he truly is God and not just some nice little baby that we worship at Christmas, if he truly is God, this is significant. If Jesus did exist and the Bible is true, he did actually get born into a feeding trough in the side of a mountain only to grow up as God in flesh being tempted yet without sin, to die and rise again, conquering Satan, sin and death, and you believe this, and it turns out to be true, you have everything to gain. You have everything to gain because you get an eternity in heaven with him and nothing to lose. If you believe him, and it all works out that it's true, everything to gain. If you don't believe it, you lose everything. You wind up in hell because you never came to Jesus. You never met him and you never loved to be changed by him. Peter Kreef, the theologian and defender of the faith, puts it this way. If God does not exist, it does not matter how you wager, for there is nothing to win after death and nothing to lose after death. But if God does exist, your only chance of winning eternal happy, happiness is to believe. And your only chance of losing losing it is to refuse to believe. As Pascal says, I should be much more afraid of being mistaken And then finding out that Christianity is true. You ought to be afraid of that. Comes a day and finally you realize, oh, it really was true. I should have listened. I should have gone and laid down my life. Man, you ought to be afraid of that day. Then of being mistaken and believing it to be true. If you believe too much, you neither win nor lose eternal happiness. But if you believe too little, you risk losing everything. Everything. All the work that you've done on the earth. Lost, done, gone. Because you miss the point that Jesus is God and Jesus is the one who ought to be worshipped. Colossians chapter 2 says this, verse 9. It sums it up really well. For in him, Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The fullness of God dwells in a body and the fullness of man in perfection, but the fullness of God dwells in a body. So all this to say that Jesus is fully God and this has massive implications for your life and mine. We've been working through the book of Hebrews, right, this year. If, you, if you're new here, um, then the book of Hebrews in the Bible, it's all, a book all about, it was written, we don't really know who it was written by, but it was written to a bunch of Christians who seem to be getting dull of hearing. They're like, Jesus, yeah, yeah, I've heard about him every other Sunday. Yeah, I know, he's cool. Yep, no, me and Jesus, we're sweet. Yeah, no worries, just sort of coasting along. Hebrews says, you can't be coasting. You're either going toward God or you're going away from God. You can't be in this neutral gear, sort of just hanging there. You're either going for him or away from him. And so the book of Hebrews has been a huge challenge and encouragement. Keep going. Persist. Don't give up. Don't get dull of hearing. You hear Jesus? Man, you better get excited. You hear more about Jesus? I want to bring some emotion and tears. Jesus, thank you. You came to the earth, God, to love me? A sinner? Oh, thank you, Jesus. So this has implications for our lives. What does it mean this Christmas to live an incarnational life? Jesus came as God. There's three things I want to bring out here. The incarnation of Jesus as God means you live your life as a missionary like Jesus in the world. If you've got Philippians 2 open there still, you can see in verse 14, it says this, Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Who's been to see Christmas lights this this, uh, Christmas? Anybody going to see? You been to see them? there are some cool Christmas lights out there. You see some houses and they're just jazzing with Christmas lights, flashing and going nuts all over the place. You go to Queen's Park and uh, and often I talk to my little girl and I say, you know what, lights are are a significant thing, especially all these bright, beautiful lights that come out. Because in the darkness, they are just illuminated. Turn them on in the day, you could drive past and not even notice them. So these lights get turned on at night and man, they just illuminate the whole street. I don't know if you've seen whole streets full of lights and you're just driving along. You don't need street lights. You don't need the moon. It's just glowing all the way down the street. Jesus comes as that light into a dark, crooked, messed up world and shines brightly, making a way for people to come to true life. And also that means our lives become lights. We end up being these bright lights like at Christmas time that shine forth this incredible light of love, of grace and of mercy to people who want to come and follow Jesus. That's you. That's me. That means we're missionaries. Jesus comes as God as a missionary and we ought to do the same. The second thing is this. The incarnation of Jesus as God means that Jesus is more than just a man involved with your life who you think about at Christmas, Easter, funerals and weddings. If Jesus is just that man, and I'd, I've had plenty of chats with people, and he's just a man. He's just a nice guy, baby that came in a manger that we might think about at Christmas or at Easter. He's just a man. And you, I reckon you can see this in your own life. You probably let him in on some of your stuff, but then you run the rest of the lot, of your life the way you want to. But you see, if Jesus truly is Lord... He gets down so deep to change you never even thought possible. He comes in and he redeems that messy, disgusting past of your own sin. He redeems the sin that's been committed against you. That sort of change doesn't come unless you know Jesus as Lord and God. If he's just a man, yeah, maybe we could follow him. Maybe you could let him in on a few areas of your own life. But no, he is Lord. He is God. And that means our whole lives are laid down. Can you actually see Jesus at work in you changing you? This might be huge significant change or it might be small incremental change that you're just learning to submit your life to him. You're learning to grow and be changed by him. Or maybe you don't even think about it probably means he's just a man he's just a good guy in your life he's a moral nice guy or is he actually lord the incarnation of jesus means that jesus followers are on mission and devoted to the church here's the third thing incarnation of jesus means that you are devoted to the church that could be the local church here at the project And so you're working out ways. Jesus came to begin, build and head up the church to continue the spread of his word to the world. This means that people who love and follow Jesus ought to give themselves to the church. This includes serving and generosity as Jesus demonstrated throughout his life. This is so that your local church and the global church can grow and more people get to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. That becomes a driving force in your life. I want lots of people to hear about Jesus because he is so dang good. And I'm going to devote my life to the church in devoting it to Jesus. I'm going to work out ways I can serve. So maybe if if you're sitting here at the project and you're not doing much in the project, maybe that means you just put your hand up and go, is there anything I can do? here's my gifts, here's the things I'm able to do. In fact, we've got an uh, iPad at the back there and we, you can log into the city. And what you do is set up your own profile and actually name all the different gifts and abilities that you have and the things where you think, you, didn't, you know what, I could serve in these areas. And so you take an opportunity like that and go, sweet as, I just want to be devoted to my people, Christians who love Jesus, and I want to serve them so that they would be able to go out. So the message of the project The good news of Jesus can go out and change more and more lives. We want that, don't we? We want lots of people to be changed and transformed by Jesus. Here's the final thing. The incarnation means that you're not alone in following Jesus. Pete's going to really hit on this uh, when he comes and preaches on Tuesday. But it means that you're not alone. Philippians 2.13. We're still in that Philippians chapter. For it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Know what? Your hard work is pointless unless it's God working in you. So we better work hard, but you know where it starts? It starts with God working in you and, being cha- and changing you. So don't be afraid that you're on your own. You can feel like you're slaving your guts out and you're just doing it on your own. Well, come back and center. God, it's actually you at work in me, both to will and to work for your good pleasure. Say, so God, what is it you want me to do? Ask that question. John chapter 1 says this, But to all who did receive him, the Christians, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. These children were born not of, good, not of blood, so they didn't get reborn out of their mum again. That would just be crazy weird. Uh, nor of the will of the flesh. They didn't make a decision to say, Yes, I'm going to follow Jesus right now. I'm going to make my own decision and my own will to follow Jesus but instead by God. Your birth, if you're a Christian here, started because God worked in you. God came and did work in your heart and that helped you to open your eyes to actually see who Jesus is. His work started in you and it's His work that will help you to continue. You're not on your own. You're not on your own following Jesus. God saved you, you respond to His call and He's the one who keeps you.